Yeah, so good morning ladies and gentlemen and uh, welcome to our discussion on auto series. Um, I have with me uh, my colleague and the host for today, uh, Mr. Raditya Jhavar, who is the leading uh, auto analyst in uh, the country right now. Uh, and uh, it's my pleasure to um, invite all of you on this conference. Before I hand it over to uh, Aditya, I would like to uh, mention it to all the uh, participants of this call that please keep your mic and camera off uh, during the session. Uh, and uh, you will be given an opportunity towards the end of this uh, discussion to uh, ask a question to the to the guest by raising your virtual hand. You may even type uh, the uh, question in the chat box, uh, and we will ask the question on your behalf. Please note that this session is currently recorded. So with that, over to you, Aditya. Thank you. Thanks, Kofna. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, everyone, for joining the call. A very good morning to you. Uh, thanks, Andrew, for taking out time to, you know, speak to us. Uh, so, a very quick introduction on Andrew. So, Andrew is a South African, you know, strategist, and he has spent about uh, 10 years dedicated to frontier market. And he has spent uh, most of the time, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa region. And, you know, he's a regular traveler to Nigeria as well, one of the interesting geographies that we'll be discussing. Uh, so the format of today's, you know, presentation is that, you know, Andrew will give a quick rundown on his uh, presentation um, and his uh, quick thoughts on on-the-ground situation and followed uh, by a you know, Q&A session. Uh, over to you, Andrew. Thanks very much. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, as, as the team said, I'm, I'm happy to make this as interactive as, as possible, but I think let me let me run through some some highlights first, and then then we can roll it into into Q and A and the discussion. Um, I cannot promise to know everything about about Nigeria and the sector, but we certainly have been functioning in the market for a very long time. We're regular travellers there, um, and I, it's it's one that we we work we work with our teams in, on the ground daily in in Nigeria. Um, to, let me let me share my screen. Uh, get rid of my picture. Right. So as far as Nigeria goes, um, I'm sure that that most of you know the the main challenge that we have at the moment is is on the foreign exchange side. Um, I'll go into some detail on that and. I need to highlight that the uh, there probably is very little change that's going to happen before the elections that are scheduled for February. Um, Nigeria has pegged their FX rate, and the reason for that is that the, a stable naira is viewed as a sign of political strength. The, we've been through multiple cycles um, on the on or multiple currency challenges in Nigeria. These tend to happen in times of oil price weakness. The the current challenges started in about March 2020 as the COVID lockdown hits, and the Nigerian central bank um, fairly dramatically reduced the FX and supply to the market. But the market always finds a way. 
there's an active parallel market which de- which is developed. It's it's very functional on the, on the ground, but and it, and it works very well for corporates. But it absorbs quite a lot of management time for local corporates, with a number of multinationals being hesitant to use the parallel market. Fund managers are able to use dual listed stocks. Um, though, and I've got a, a chart up on the screen. That gives you the official rate, which looks very nice and stable. Um, the other two lines there are dual-listed, fully fungible stocks. And uh, given that most of you are active in the market, you'll, you'll understand well what that means. They're fully transferable. They, there are two names there. One is Setlab Energy, which is an oil and gas company. The other one is Airtel Africa. And I think you, you will know the, the parent company very well. They're both dual-listed, so they're listed in Lagos and in London. The stock is fully transferable. You can buy it in Lagos and move it to London and use that as an FX mechanism. So we back that out and get an implied FX rate off that. And the, the rate... Although it's not perfect because there are some liquidity challenges in the in the shares, gives you an implied price of of about two and a half times or between two and a half and three times the official FX rate quoted by by the central bank of Nigeria. Um, so there is quite a lot of daylight between the official rate and and what the the implied rates are on the ground. Um, yeah, it gives you gives you an idea of where those those rates are on a on a spot basis. Very importantly, there's the parallel rate, which is at a little over seven hundred naira to the dollar versus the official rate of four hundred, just over four hundred to the dollar. This is the rate that importers are using, and it's the the reason that we've seen fairly dramatic inflation in in Nigeria. And a, a little bit of pressure on purchasing power for, for consumers because they are, salaries have not generally kept up, but, um, you've got the importers who are, are forced into the parallel market to, uh, to source dollars to import two wheelers, rice, toothpicks, virtually, virtually anything. Um, the reason the reason that um, some of these some of the imports were banned was to well sorry imports were not banned in, in most cases the central bank stopped supplying FX for these imports it's it's aimed at um, developing a local industry this can't be done overnight and has fueled very material inflation so. To give you an, an indication of, um, of how much FX is being, ama- um, being made available via the official channels, and the official channel is called the INE window. It's the importers and exporters window. It is meant to be uh, freely tradable on a willing buyer, willing seller basis. Since um, the FX rate has not been allowed to move freely and adjust. There are no willing sellers. The Central Bank of Nigeria is effectively the only seller in the FX market and has materially restricted supply since since early 2000. Sorry, early 2020. Um, a clearing daily volume through that market, we estimate to be between three and $400 million a day. 
and around $100 million a day has been supplied to the market um, since, since March 2020. That has pushed most participants into the parallel market or into the official queue. The official queue is, is certainly not moving and is reported to be between five and $600 million deep. I think this is a gross underestimation of, of the size of that queue and the real demand. We have got fund managers who have not got money out of Nigeria since early 2020, um, but the, the parallel market does work extremely well. To give you an idea of the, the band at which the iron window, iron window has traded in, um, this chart gives you the upper and lower limits. You can see how tightly it is managed by the, by the central bank. They do not allow trade at, at above what they assume, what they believe should be the, the upper limit, which is about the 450 level, and, and the lower limit is, is not stressed very often, um, given, given the excess demand. Uh, to give you an idea of the blended rates that large corporates have been able to achieve, the, the MTN group, um, which is a large telco, a South African listed telco with operations across the continent, has upstreamed about $100 million of cash in the last few months, um, an average FX rate of just below 500 and Airtel Africa has, has done about the same at, at a largely similar rate. That was, that was to the end of their financial year in March 2020. So, Large corporates are achieving some kind of a blended rate through their through their bankers, um, so a combination of the official the official rate and the parallel market rate, um, and again that has driven inflation very materially. We can see on the chart that um, Nigeria, being an import dependent market. Very little is exported, very little is locally produced at the moment, although government is, is trying to change that. Um, inflation has been driven by this move to the, to the parallel market, and it is, up until very recently, almost entirely FX-driven, and, and you will see those pressures coming through on all imported goods. Foods have suffered most. Rice is a, is a stable that um, it is consumed by by the population, and the import of rice was um, was limited by the government not supplying FX to to the market for for rice imports. That resulted in in a large amount of black market trade in rice. It is it is effectively just smuggled over the border, but it is all done at the parallel market rate, which is at about a sixty percent premium to the to the official market rate and has driven inflation very hard. This has had the, the expected the expected impact on disposable income in, in Nigeria. So the, the key drivers of the economy, and, and I think these are these are a couple of points that, that we need to watch. They'll they'll give us leading indicators on when we when we can expect a deval and a return to return to normalisation. Um, one is the oil price, and the the impact it has on national reserves. Um, the the central bank in the past has devalued the currency when reserves approach 
the $30 billion, these are gross reserves, not net, approach the $30 billion mark, and we are hovering just above there at the moment. Um, the, the government has managed to conserve FX by not supplying, not supplying foreign exchange to, uh, to the market as, as we, as we previously discussed. Um, uh, the, the light gray line gives you a nice indication of how carefully managed the denier is, although, although the rate is slipping now and, um, the, the domestic interest rates were pushed up by 150 basis points earlier this week in an attempt to, to constrain the, that FX rate or support the, support the Naira. It's an interesting decision to, um, to hike rates in an environment where there's very little retail lending. It's, um, it's, it's, it's almost exclusively corporate lending and investors, foreign, foreign, um, fixed income investors have not been able to leave. So the hike of rates in, in rates will have very little impact in, in my view. Um, so on oil, here's, this is a key slide and, and one to watch. Oil production has been falling since 2005. Government has, has been, has revenue supported by an increasing oil price over the last few months. Um, but we are, the country produces less than half the oil than that they did in 2005. That is likely going to change. Um, there's been a huge change in, in legislation, um, which which is inspiring the majors to to move into deep water deep water production. That takes time to get on stream, but it is happening. Most of the shallow water and onshore, onshore production has been sold to, to very competent um, local producers, and, and we are looking forward to an increase in the, in the oil production numbers. The, uh, just as some background, the, the fall in production has been blamed on um, legislative, legislative uncertainty, which is now largely being fixed, insecurity, and that's a, a form of extortion with local communities getting paid off to to protect oil pipelines and theft. There's a fairly material bunkering industry where um, tankers are moved in and and oil is stolen at a at a commercial level um, or an industrial on an industrial scale. This is is one of my uh, my favourite charts. Um, don't pay the numbers too much um, too much attention, but the but the the line the, the line gray line gives you a good indication of the theoretical oil revenues. These are it's oil price times oil production volume. So government revenues have been supported very very firmly by the, the rapid rise rise in the oil price um, over the last two years. That is starting to unwind. Production has continued to drop um, in the last couple of months, and oil selling off to, to around about $90 a barrel is not helping the situation. Um, I, I do need to flag that um, the fall in production is, and the, the, the fall in government revenues is not necessarily a bad thing. It will, in in the short term, inspire or pressure government into 
letting the currency depreciate to a level where there's a willing buyer and willing seller. The peg rate has not allowed the market to function. We, see, we saw this in Egypt. Egypt devalued their currency. Um, their, their economy was not performing very well. Um, they devalued their currency to a willing buyer, willing seller level, and growth took off. Investors and, and corporates benefited very materially, materially in, in real terms uh, with, with performance sort of peaking across, across the entire country and rebounding across the country. This, this happened in Nigeria about halfway through 2016 during their last currency crisis. They let the, the Naira depreciate and we saw a very big jump in, in um, consumer, consumer spending and GDP bounced back. This is not all, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, Nigeria is a particularly resilient market, and I've, I've charted the revenue, so top line, for a number of the FMCG, local FMCG firms that are listed. So these are, these are audited numbers, and we've done this in dollars. Bearing in mind that the, that the dollar is at a little above its 20-year highs, so it's putting artificial downward pressure on this. But as you can see, consumer spending is growing in real terms. Any devaluation in the Naira um, will allow importers, and that I, to make it clear, um, I don't expect a deval to be nearly to the level of the, the parallel market. That is a, that is a desperate, desperation rate. It will be somewhere between parallel and, and official, and that will result in a very material boost of in disposable income for, for consumers and an unwind of inflation in almost instantly. Um, there will be some, some exceptional profits in, in the very short term by, to, uh, to, the, to the corporates, but it will be a, a very significant uh, boost for, for consumers. That I would expect to not happen before elections, and if the um, if the candidates are as sharp as they uh, they come across as, um, and and the the candidates standing standing for the presidency do look particularly good. Talking to local corporates, they're all excited about a change. The, the current president is is getting on in years and has a military background. Um, Rather than an economic one, and has taken his own views on, on whether the, the currency should be and how the economy should be handled. Um, all the, the positive moves that we've seen over the last two years have happened while he has been out of the country and the, the vice president has been in, in charge. Um, to give you an idea of where Nigeria stands compared to its peers at the moment, it is Fairly low in terms, it has a low debt to, debt to GDP ratio, um, and interest expenditures as a percentage of revenue is not ideal, but far lower than, than a number of peers. The one factor, a couple of factors we haven't mentioned. One is the, the fuel subsidy. Um, so while Nigeria has had a, a windfall in, in terms of high oil prices, this has been entirely consumed by 
subsidizing the uh the petrol rate the petrol price in in nigeria um the petrol prices have have um remained stable in in a world where the the input costs have gone up materially all petrol is imported and interestingly imported petrol and this is been subsidized the volumes have tripled in the last few years so Nigeria isn't using triple the amount of fuel. It is transported out of the country by by traders and sold by the black market into into neighbouring states. This has, has effectively sucked the fiscus dry, and um, there's a, a big move to remove this fuel subsidy. That will that will result in a an, an enormous boost to to government finances because then. Uh, the benefits of, of oil pricing and revenues from oil prices can then be passed on to, to the fiscus and be deployed where they where they should be. So I'm going to I'm going to flip back to um, so uh, if I can stop presenting here. Let me flip back to, to this. Um, that was a very brief run-through on the highlights of Nigeria. I appreciate it was very quick. If there's anything anyone would like to discuss, um, I know there was, a, there was a lot of detail in that. I'm happy to go back to some of the slides. If you have other questions that you'd like to run through, I'm happy to do it. But I've got highlights. This is a very resilient economy. It is run by individual importers. These are not generally large corporates. They are incredibly astute. They function well in difficult environments, and, and it is currently a difficult environment. I, um, but with quite a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. So over to over to everyone on the call. Are there any points you'd like to discuss further? So, you know, um, you know, thanks a lot uh, for your, you know, presentation and view. Uh, what I would request is that, you know, participants, uh, if you have a question, kindly raise your hand uh, and, you know, please unmute yourself and ask a question. Uh, in the meantime, you know, Andrew, I have, uh, you know, a couple of questions uh, already from the participants. I mean, to, you know, kickstart the discussion, uh, one is that uh, you mentioned that uh, on-the-ground situation is not that bad, especially when it comes to consumption. And, uh, do, you know, are you implying that the the on-the-ground economy is already adjusted to the green market rate? Um, and, you know, how are the overall, you know, consumer sentiments on the ground? That is a very astute um, observation. So, yes, the, on the ground, um, consumers have adjusted to somewhere just below the grey market rate because it's, it's generally a, a, a blended rate that's, that's um, applied. There, it's, it's not far off the grey market rate. So a, a material deval in the FX rate, in my view, will not result in extreme inflation. So consumers are already there. All that's happening is the economy is being strangled by by the central bank and by the government. Although there are a number of large um, 
large players within the market that are able to get to the front of the queue and get money at the official rate. So if you're getting money at a little over 400, that's, that should be, that you, should be seven, you should be paying 700 for. It's, uh, it's a very material subsidy at the expense of, of government finances and, and consumers. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. So, we will take the next question from Vikram. Uh, Vikram, can you please go ahead? Yeah, thanks. I just wanted to ask, is there any situation or higher instances of crime because of uh, whatever you have mentioned or given highlighted? So, no, we have not seen higher instances of of individual crime. Um, there's, there's very little of that that's been reported. What we have seen is an increase in fuel smuggling because that is that is incredibly profitable at the moment to to buy very cheap fuel and and take it over the border. But but that is that is done on a, on an industrial scale and. Um, Oil theft because oil at ninety or a hundred dollars a barrel is is very attractive to it's very attractive to tap pipelines and and then barge it um, offshore into into waiting waiting tankers. Um, but in terms of crime that, that affects consumers, no. I just wanted to tie it in with any instances with respect to let's say cash sharing or ride sharing. Especially with food delivery or uh, even even small transport, like like basically Uber, etc. Um, I am probably not close enough to the situation to to give you a, a fair answer on that. Talking to to my colleagues on the ground, we I know they, they have not made any comments on on that. Um, there there was a, a boost in um, in. Terrorist activity in in the north that is is tragic. It's it's terrible for the people who live there, but economically it's actually unimportant. The, that the section of the north is is very very small in terms of the the economy, and I think that's that's probably part of the reason that there there's been um, been the, the terrorism that has that has come up there. But in terms of in terms of Lagos and the major cities, they are, the traffic is thick, business is, is going, going particularly well. Um, there, there has been pushback against, uh, two-wheeler taxi rides. They continue. There are, you have the numbers, you have the numbers far better than I do, but, but the roads are, the roads are packed with, with two-wheelers and, and certainly the taxi, the two-wheeler taxi industry is functioning incredibly well. Thank you. You, you gave an interesting perspective. I mean, uh, the terrorist activities are clearly isolated in parts of Nigeria and you mentioned that it is, you know, relatively insignificant in terms of economic contribution and large part of, of Nigeria is functioning uh, normally uh, that uh, yeah so that was an interesting perspective now you know uh, you know one interesting point that you highlighted that you are seeing that uh, oil prices higher oil prices benefiting and you also alluded to the fact that you know there there could be bunkering there could be you know illegal uh, exports uh, from nigeria but that uh, ultimately that money is still with the nigerian people so in a way 
that is also a part that the you are seeing some you know consumer companies doing relatively much better that money is coming back to the circulation in the local consumption economy um Nigeria is a little different to to a number of other markets so Kenya is a good a good, good comparison Kenya any corruption that there is the money is reinvested in the local economy Nigeria the money tends to move offshore quite rapidly when it's, I, I'm talking about large 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 scale money rather than uh, rather than small individuals um, challenges this is not this is not a terrifying environment I think I, I may have um, I may have undersold Nigeria and sent large scale bunkering and and fuel black market fuel trading it's it's not it's not a bad environment at all. I'm very happy to, to travel in Lagos. It's it's a great city. There's incredible energy. You can take an Uber where you need to go. It's it's not the scary Nigeria that has been these are the the pictures that were painted from 20 years ago, and uh, and possibly the bits of the of the northeast and that we see on on CNN. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, so I think participants, if you have a question, please uh, raise your hand. Uh, yes. Yeah, and you can also put uh, your question on the chat window. We can take up your question from there. Uh, the next, you know, uh, and we, you know, people would like to understand uh, what is the outlook, right? So you mentioned that the general election is due in uh, March, and we are expecting a change uh, there. So, according to you, right, what are the steps that the government, you know, should take and, uh, you know, what is the likelihood that those steps taken uh, would result in the stabilization of the forex? You rightly mentioned that the rate should settle between the grey market and the parallel rate. And in your assessment, how, how much time it will take for the economies to start firing again? Uh that's that's an important important part of the Nigerian Nigerian equation. Um, first of all, the the current president is leaving office, which is is very important to to note because often often that doesn't happen. Um, talking to to corporates on the ground, any change is a good one. They are ambivalent as to as to who takes over, so they are really unconcerned unconcerned about who that would be. It will it will be a peaceful transition, and it is an ideal time for for the new the new man and chances are it is a man the new man in the chair to liberalise the the exchange rate or at least devalue it to a point where where there is where it's more realistic reflective of of reality, and very importantly remove or reduce the fuel subsidy. The fuel subsidy is draining draining the national uh, national uh, treasury. All of the funds that are, that are normally transferred from the national national oil revenues into the fiscus, there is nothing there to transfer because they are going 100% of them are going to cover the fuel subsidy at the moment. So re- reducing that is is key. Every time that has come up in the past, there have been protests and riots. But there are vested interests involved. It's a small number of people who are who are making incredible profits. This is to the tune of, of billions of dollars that that are being stripped. Close to a billion dollars a month is is the fuel subsidy, and and most of that is is being being taken out of the country and and traded. 
So it's incredibly lucrative to to arrange some protests um, around those. It's not a difficult thing to do, but whoever comes in needs to reduce and or preferably remove the the subsidy. There are there are strong moves towards that. That's the immediate immediate stuff. It's low hanging fruit. It can happen quickly and. A cut in the fuel subsidy, and it's only petrol, it's not diesel. So diesel's already at market, market prices. So a cut in the fuel subsidy and a change in the FX rate will boost government finances very materially. It means they can supply, um, they can supply FX to the market. And if the, the, the rate settles at a lower rate than, than your average importer is paying, and particularly for things like rice, and staples like that, um, you get inflation going from over 20% down to zero or even a negative number in, in the short term. So you get an incredible boost to disposable income. This, this is a huge positive. Um, in the slightly longer term, oil, oil production is picking up. There's a no-flare policy that is coming in, so flaring, flaring of, of gas from, from oil production is being, being eliminated. That gas is being piped into, into electricity production. If you look at your, your average, average um, young professional, they are spending about a third of their, their, their total income on generator fuel because of unreliable electricity. So an improvement in electricity, particularly in the main centers, um, is slowly happening, but a, uh, that, that will take time, and that's another long-term boost to disposable income. Um, there, are, there are a number of positive moves afoot. There's the public transport's improving. There's an infrastructure program that needs to be funded and a lot of that funding needs to come from a reduction in the in the fuel subsidy, and and I think that's one we do need to watch incredibly carefully. Yeah. So we uh, have uh, you know a couple of questions from the participants. Uh, one, the, you know, the person is very interesting. Uh, Nishanta has a question that uh, on the economic side, how do you think the you know start of uh, Dangote refinery will impact the finances? And how it will impact the refined crude imports and overall aggregate inflation. Are there any further economic projects being planned by private enterprise similar to, you know, Dangote Refinery? So that's, that, that's a very good point. I, I didn't want to mention Dangote, but if you look at, look at um, large projects that are, that are likely to be getting all the FX they need at the official rate, that is front of the queue. Um, when Dangote's refinery comes on stream, and we're hoping it's H1 next year, most of his projects are, are materially delayed. If you if you look at his cement plants around the continent, um, that will be a a very material boost to, and it's, a, it's again a, a good time to cut the fuel subsidy. It's the the material boost is not on the oil price because inputs into the refinery are still priced in dollars. Um, whether the whether the oil companies sell to sell to a refinery in or in Europe or to traders or to Dangote, that is still at global market prices and in dollars. Where they where the country will benefit is on the refining margin and on the transport. But very importantly, what most people miss is 
the the industries that grow up around a refinery. It's not just not just petrol and diesel that that comes out of a refinery. There are there are plastics, um, there are chemicals. There's a very long list of, of products that are that are produced. So we are looking at an entire economy building around the downstream downstream products of of the refinery, which is very important. He's, he is also building a fertilizer plant, which is is fantastic for Nigeria. So that cuts the import bill materially. Um, the country has a lot of raw materials. There's no need to to export and export the and export products have all the value addition done um, in the U.S. or, or elsewhere and re-import uh, the, the finished goods. So this is slightly longer term, but is a very good time for um, for things like fuel subsidies to be cut. I think really one of the biggest investments seen by the region, almost a fair number, about $25 billion investment is projected, you know, expected to spend. Particularly seeing that Nigeria does not have fully functional refineries at all at the moment. Uh, uh, the next question is from Vishnu. Uh, his point is that, uh, of, you know, what is the current status of two-wheeler uh, motor taxi segment in Nigeria? I would love to answer that for you. Um, I, I'm not well-placed enough to, to give you a firm answer on that. Anecdotally, the industry continues, continues um, as it always has. There have been a couple of clampdowns on illegal operators um, with with bikes being crushed, but these seem to be intermittent and far more for um, to make a, a political announcement rather than actually impacting the, impacting the industry. But again, that that is only based on my own observations. Uh, you know, participants, if you have a question, uh, please raise your hand. Just read for a moment. Uh, Vivek, uh, can you please unmute yourself and go ahead? Uh, hi, Andrew. Thanks. It's been quite very, very insightful uh, presentation mm -hmm. and session. I also wanted to, I mean, probably a little out of uh, topic here, but I just wanted to understand uh, if you have to take a call in uh, Nigeria for, from a more three to five year perspective, would you expect economy to accelerate significantly given the changes that we spoke about uh, uh, just a while ago. And uh, related question is, do you think that will also have an impact in the overall African region or would it be very specific to Nigeria? Um, so, good questions. The skeptic, um, and I've been, I've been covering Nigeria for a long time, our clients are, are directly invested there. Um, the the, the short answer is Nigeria is, is a country with incredible potential. But what that normally means is that nothing is happening right now. Um, so, yes, 
is is the short answer. Is it is it the sort of slightly longer answer? We are looking for increased economic growth. The oil majors are going offshore. There's substantially more oil production, which supports the the FX the FX side. Local these these um, restrictions on availability of FX on things like rice and toothpicks and and even private jets. But um, there's, a, there's a long list of things that are that that you cannot get FX um, at the official rate for. Those are slowly starting to build domestic domestic production, and and it is working. We saw it when Dangote launched his um, large cement plant. On the day that he commissioned that plant, cement imports into the country were were banned, um, and a huge domestic industry has grown up. So, a a change to the FX rate uh, to, to the FX regime, a cut to the fuel subsidy. And we are looking for exceptional consumer growth. Um, when I showed you the chart of uh, the, the dual-listed stocks and the, the implied exchange rates that uh, fund managers are actually using to value their Nigerian holdings, um, we, have, we have investors using that in reverse. Uh, in other words, buying the stocks in London and um, coming into, into Nigeria at a rate of of around about 1,100 naira, naira to the dollar, and buying, buying shares in local Nigerian companies on, on a medium-term view because they, they think there is incre- incredible value and strong growth. Um, in terms of its impacting the broader region, Dangote does plan to export fuel in, into the region, um, but Nigerian growth, there's not a lot of regional trade within Africa. It is improving. But it is, it's not Europe by any stretch of the imagination. Most of the African trade is, is internationally with, with very little, um, amongst neighboring states. So I don't see a huge jump in Nigerian growth as, as dragging, dragging the rest of the continents along with it. Great, thanks. Uh, just from, uh, from, from our tracking perspective, do you think currency would be the best way to track uh, if there's an indicator that I have to choose, or are there a few more indicators that we could potentially track? Um, in terms of the, you will see the move happen quite quickly as the currency moves. So, so it's not really a leading indicator; it's one you need to watch closely. And a devaluation in the currency is a positive in this in this case. Um, I think you need to watch. Um, Watch oil revenues because if those dip dip low, a the government is is forced to move because they won't have the FX to support the market. They're forced to devalue, which is a positive. Um, and, and while oil is responsible for almost all of the government revenues and almost all of the foreign exchange, it is it is sub ten percent of of um, the GDP. So. So while it's, it's important from our perspective, it, it doesn't destroy the entire, entire economy if the oil price drops. Um, I think those, those two you've got to watch, and, and political noise around the, around the fuel subsidy are, is the other one you've got to watch. But, but watch, watch gross reserves. If those start heading towards the $30 billion level, a devaluation is imminent, which, which has a very positive knock-on effect. 
strangely, um, a higher oil price has been negative for uh, for Nigeria through this through this time. It's resulted in in a in a massive uptick in the fuel subsidy demanded, so nothing else flowing through to the fiscus, and it's allowed them to peg their, hold the, the currency level for far longer than they should have been able to. A little counterintuitive, but um, yeah. but it is it is how it's worked out. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks so much. Yeah, so uh, Akash, can you read on YouTube? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Andrew, you highlighted that about one third of the money being spent is is being spent over there on electricity by families. So, would it be possible to indicate how has been the per capita income trend of the country and likely expenditure to be done by families over there as this improves in terms of ownership of uh, assets? Or the likely buying pattern? Um, that that's a difficult question. Um, per capita income in Nigeria is is a tricky one. There hasn't been a reliable census in over twenty years. There the and the the reason for that is that um, national revenues it's a it's a federal system and and revenues are distributed to the the thirty six states on the basis of their populations. So every state hikes their their population numbers in terms of uh, their, their official population numbers beyond beyond reality. Um, how much that is is difficult difficult to say. Where what we have seen, and I I'm sure you know a number of players in the market, um, is home solar systems and starting at um, individual um, solar systems that give. Well, or, or effectively a, a solar power torch up to a single panel with a battery that gives you two lights and a place to charge your, charge your mobile, um, all the way up to, to full home systems that include televisions and fridges and computers, etc. Um, we have seen a huge uptick in, in the uptake of, of those products and, and there are three or four companies that are that are dominating that industry across across the continent. Um, some of them are active in, in India and I, I'm sure you will you will know them. Um, but we've we've seen seen very positive moves there. That is done on a on a rent to own basis and that then it it has a number of positive impacts. If on the low end it takes people away from kerosene and, and candles and improves health impacts but allows shops to function at night um, in, in rural villages. It allows kids to study at night, um, etc. And then, as you get into urban areas, that then starts cutting cost on on diesel diesel generators. Um, so these things are coming in. It's slow, but but it is happening. And and again, electricity production is improving. There's uh, the Anno Gas Project, which is is run by uh, Seplat, which is the land that I mentioned earlier, the dual listed stock, and the National Oil Company that is is about to that is going to be commissioned quite soon, and that will push an enormous amount more gas into the electricity electricity grid. So, distribu- electricity distribution in the urban centres is, is improving. Um, the hard numbers particularly on per capita income, are, are tough to come by because while we have GDP numbers, the, the denominator being the, the number of, of, uh, of the, the population size is, I think, is way out in terms of the official stats.
Um, the, the, the official numbers show have shown um, a slight decline in in um, per capita income, if I remember correctly. Results from consumer firms um, and talking to, to players on the ground, it doesn't look like there's a decline in, in, in per capita income at all. Understood. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks, Akash. So, we have a next question from Vikram. Um, uh, his question is, the next growth driver, would it be from the services sector or manufacturing, or it would be both? And uh, generally, you know, uh, you know, this would also have an impact on overall, you know, commercial vehicle and four-wheeler sales. So, what would be the growth driver? Will it be services, manufacturing, or it would be a combination of both? Our hope and expectation is that it is it is largely driven by manufacturing. Um, the the instant restriction of FX to um, to importers has resulted in in local industry growing up. Um, so we've seen a kickstart for the wrong reasons um, in in manufacture, local manufacturing impacts like improved gas distribution either direct to to manufacturing enterprises or into the electricity grid are starting to have a, a, a big a big impact. And quite importantly, investments like Dangotis. While as as I, as I said, while the impact on um, on fuel is is not as large as some people assume it will be, the the downstream economy that grows up around around a refinery, uh, particularly as a, a supersized refinery and the only one in not just the country but the, but the, the region, um, is enormous. So yes, the the manufacturing side is is where where we are expecting the growth, and and I suppose that should filter more into the into the two wheel of demand than. Than an impact on service than the growth in services would, um, other than for for private transport. I you know I don't think so there are more questions. In case there are questions, please pop in email. We will get it you know answered by Andrew. Um, just that I think yes we have a question from Vivek. Vivek, uh, please unmute yourself. Hey Andrew. Uh, Probably a long shot, but I just want to take what do you think would be next big uh, discretionary uh, uh, leg of spend that might uh, that might happen in Nigeria? I just wanted to get your thoughts. Would it be probably vehicles or something else? Um, that's a that's a good question. Um, yeah, is is normally my first my first answer on on that. But there is there is almost no consumer lending in in Nigeria. There's so up until now, if you want to buy a home, you have to you have to save the money. There's it's it's very hard to get a mortgage or a, or a bond to to buy a home. Um, although that is that is changing. There's um, there's a move for well, it, it was announced last week um, that. Individuals are going to be able to access a portion of their pension funds to buy a home, and that's 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 very important because that will drive that will drive the construction industry. That will that will make a big difference in terms of people 
possibly buying a little further out than they are currently living in the city, which will which will boost their need for for transport. And roads are being being improved quite materially. Um, but because individuals have got to save for for what they buy, it's it's likely that it is things like vehicles. Um, and I know I on the on the lower end of the scale, it's it's an expensive place to live, um, and given that you can't borrow the money to uh, to, to buy your purchase, to buy whatever it is, you you've got to save it. And chances are, it's cheaper cheaper transportation um, for a lot of people, or transportation that will will allow them to start a business. Um, we've seen through um, uh, a company that um, our, our team in, in India covers called Asa International. Um, very good results. Uh, this is a London-listed micro lender that lends uh, exclusively to women who have who run their own small businesses. We've seen very good results out of Nigeria, and that's that's another good indicator in terms of commercial activity on the ground. They they are borrowing more, and they are they are repaying what they what they borrow. Uh, commercial activity is certainly picking up at the absolute uh, base of the pyramid there. Interesting. Um, if you, it, it might just be worth asking our our, our team um, for their latest report on assets. It was a it was a good one. It gives you a nice indication of how the base of the pyramid is performing across multiple markets. Sorry, punching our our research, but it is it is a good piece. Great, Andrew. Thanks. You're on mute. Sorry about it. Uh, thanks a lot, Andrew, for your time. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, the participants, for joining in. In case there is any follow-up, uh, please drop a line. We will get it, you know, uh, answered. Uh, again, thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks, everyone. And we're always available for, for questions or insights. Um, we do run a couple of trips um, across the continent every year, and I will I will be in touch with my colleagues and, and let you know if you um, when the, when those are if you have any interest in, in joining. That that would be great. Looking forward, Andrew. Thanks very much. Thank you.